We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, we come this morning in prayer and in need. Lord, many of us going through trials in our very own lives. Lord, maybe some of us have never even stepped into the church until today. Maybe it's been a long time, Lord, and people want to hear what you have to say. And so I pray this morning that you would speak boldly through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your people might hear your words and not mine. And God, that you would open their ears and their eyes and their hearts to hear the message that you have given to not only us as a church, as individuals, but as a nation. And Father, I just pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, You would work wonders through the warnings that You have given us through Scripture. And I pray this morning as we think on Lurie and the loss of her sister, and we just pray for their family. We pray, God, that You touch them, that You give them a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes and that's found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that You are sovereign over all things and You are in control and there is a time for each one of us to step into Your kingdom and what a day of rejoicing that will be. And I pray, Lord, that You will give them comfort during this time of loss. Lord, we love You and we thank You for today and we pray for the household of God that they would be encouraged today, that they would be challenged in their faith, but also, Lord, that they would commit themselves to do the work that You've called them to, and that's to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, for those that have not been here, we've been working through the book of Second Peter. And here in this book, the, the main theme of this book is Peter is warning to, wanting to warn us against false teachers that will arise in our day, which they have, and that will arise in the future as we increasingly approach the end times. And so truth is the positive aspect of this book and the thing that will help us understand what false really looks like. God is truth, His Word is truth, His ways are truth, and everything else is a lie and not of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been working through the outline, if you remember, and we last week uh, started looking at chapter 2. And we noticed that there in chapter 2, the, the main theme was, as it taught us, is that we could begin avoiding false teachers by understanding false teachers. You know, one of the best ways to picture a false teacher is to know what they look like. When people are trained to identify fake money, how are, how are they trained? They're not trained by fake money, they're trained by real money. Because when they understand what the real thing looks like, then a fake pops out real easy to them. So, avoiding false teachers by understanding false teachers. And so last week, we looked at our sermon was understanding false teachers through their destructive heresies. And so we need to understand that false teachers, number one, will be present. Not only were they present in His day, but they will be present in our day and in our church and among the churches scattered throughout the world. 
Secondly, we looked at false teachers will be persuasive. They will persuade many to follow them. The third thing we looked at, that false teachers would be profane. They would blaspheme the Word of God. They would curse the Word of God. They would malign the truth. And then lastly, we understood that false teachers will be pretenders. They will be false. They will be fake in order to gain from you what they want. And this week, we're going to be looking at understanding false teachers and their destructive heresies. I mean, their destructive judgments. And so really, listen, there are two vitally important points throughout this whole sermon that I don't want you to leave with without getting. Number one is false believers will receive the wrath of God. That's the underlying... I mean, I could, I could preach these few verses and sit down and be quiet because that is the main point that Peter is trying to draw for us. Is that false believers, false teachers, fake Christians will receive the wrath of God. But he also wants us to understand the positive aspect and that is true believers will receive the rescue of God. Now, I want to say there's a lot of great information scattered throughout these verses. And we will look at each passage of Scripture and really try to dig into the understanding and meaning. And one of the questions that I asked myself as I looked at these passages is what was the sin that caused the judgment to come on to these three events that we'll look at? And so... Whatever time we have, we'll cover. I can't go into every aspect of everything because of our time. But let us begin this morning by looking at our passage of Scripture. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And I've got slides if you don't have your Bible, but I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. I think you'll get more out of the sermon if you have your own copy of God's Word and able to take notes there. It says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if He rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what He saw and heard that righteous men while living among them felt His righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from temptation to keep the unrighteous punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the flesh in His corrupt desires and despise authority. It's a long sentence. There are two major ideas in this passage of Scripture that that Peter is trying to communicate to us. And the first one is that false believers will receive the wrath of God. Now last week we ended, if you remember, with verse 3. Peter summed up all he had meant in the first two verses there in verse 3. 
about false believers or false teachers when he said this, their judgment from long ago is not idle, their destruction is not asleep. And and this week, Peter has given us, again, one gigantic sentence, one large sentence that we cannot turn from. Many of you know that I'm working on my master's degree, and over the last seven weeks I've had to write several papers, and one of the things that they've told me as they grade my papers is, Stuart, you have too long of sentences. But I feel encouraged after reading this long sentence that that Peter, you know, it's okay for him, so therefore it's okay for me. Listen, this lengthy passage, this lengthy sentence, John MacArthur calls it a red, white, hot sentence. One that we need to grasp and understand and, and lay hold of. It's one that we need to hear. One that we need to pay attention to. Not only us as individuals, but us as an American culture. We need to perk our ears up this morning and heed the warnings of Holy Scripture because we are living in times where people do not think the judgment of God will ever take place. Oh yes, He God is a gracious God. God is a humble God. God is a forgiving God. And yes, God can forgive the greatest sinners as He's forgiven me and many of you. And yes, while God is a loving God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Yes, while God is a compassionate God and God is a merciful God, there is a reality that in spite of that he is a wrathful God we can't miss that when we read the word of God if we miss that we miss the picture of God while God is love and God is grace we understand that and we live in a culture and in a time where people say oh a loving God would never do that a a, a compassionate God would never judge that man A, a, a God who loves his people could never create a place that he calls hell that's eternal torment but here is a long sentence a vital sentence And Peter will make it known to all peoples of all times, of all races, that God is a loving God, that God is a gracious God, that He is a merciful God. He is a God that will bring about His wrath, though in the midst of that, to false believers, fake Christians, unbelievers. And this is what God has to say in this verse as He begins there in verse 3. And so it's very significant, it's very imperative, it's crucial, it's fundamental that we understand that false believers, fake Christians, will receive the wrath of God. Because when we understand that, it transforms the way we share the hope of Jesus in this community. When we truly look at people walking by, understanding that if they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will die and perish in hell, separated from God. If we looked at people like that more often, we'd be bold in our faith to share Jesus Christ in the Gospel. 
Yes, this morning you can come. You can watch this video on the internet. And you can believe that your faith is in your works. That your works will save you. You can believe in your own imaginary God. You can teach people that God doesn't exist. You can deny the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You can do whatever you want. America. But the truth is, the reality is, is your destruction is not asleep. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is to heed your ears and listen to the message that God gives us in His Holy Word. Because it's a serious and vital message for all of us. Who will it be? Who will you serve? I say, choose today whom you will serve. Will it be the God of truth, the God of lies, the God of the Bible, or the God of this world? Will you choose God or will you choose man? He will bring about judgment and you can be duped and you can be held responsible for your own lifestyle as well. And my hope is that today this message will not fall on deaf ears, but it will fall on hearts and ears and eyes that God is supernaturally working in their lives so they will hear of the wrath to come and they will repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Peter gives us three events in this passage of Scripture from the book of Genesis. Three historical events that we as Christians truly believe that they literally took place. You know, in our culture, we sometimes don't want to take the Word of God literally. You know, Shane just so happened to talk about the flood and that's part of this message. Whether he read that Scripture we were going to talk about today or not, I don't know. But it's very fitting Because the reality is, is people want to say, well, that wasn't a literal event. But let me tell you, these are three historical events that took place that we need to look at and that Peter wants to express. These are examples for this world and for our time and for us as people. The first event that unfolds is in verse 4. Verse 4 says there in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And he begins there with the words, For if... Now what I want you to understand is that typically when we use the word if, it can cast doubt in our minds. But that's not what Peter is trying to say here. He's not presuming doubt. It's not the idea that Peter is wanting to draw onto the text. You can say, for since God did not. That's the idea Peter is wanting to draw. And again, we know these events took place. We believe them to be literal. And in just a second, we'll look at them. But he begins his first thought with God didn't spare the angels when they sinned. What makes us think that God would spare us? If God did not fail to judge the very angels, what makes us think as a people as individuals, and as a nation, that God will not judge us. There are a few questions that we need to ask ourselves about this text. And the first thing is this. What angels are Peter talking about in this text? 
There are several hints that Peter gives us here in this verse that explain so we can have a good and complete understanding of just the angels he was referring to. The first hint we see is that these angels what? They sinned. These were sinful angels. Now Peter is drawing a difference between fallen angels and angels that are in heaven with the Lord and that, that tarry around us, that fill the, the bodies of men, that, that encourage us, that strengthens us, that serves the Lord. There's a difference. And he is pointing to the fallen angels that have sinned. It is clear that many angels during that time of falling followed the pride of the Lucifer, the liar. And it's clear that when they followed him and his pride, it got the best of them. And he desired to become like God. If you want to study more on that, jot down Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And you read those in your spare time to go over just what unfolded there. And so what he is teaching us is that we have these holy angels that exist in our day that serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we have fallen angels that live in this world and that uh, serve the devil himself. And Peter is referring to the evil angels, evil angels, the angels that had sinned. But then you have to ask the question, what was it that they sinned against? What was it that they did? Evidently, sin was big enough that they were cast into hell or Tartarus. That word Tartarus in, the, in Greek mythology was the word used to describe a place of torment of hell. And that was the word that Peter's using because it was known to their time. Maybe not so much in our time. We just say hell because we understand. When we say hell, people know what we're talking about. But here, the, Greek, the, the word is Tartarus. And they, and they were committed to the pits of darkness reserved, reserved for the judgment to come, it says. And if we look at Jude chapter 6, one of the parallel books of Second Peter, if you compare these books together, boy, they complement each other a lot. And in Jude 6, he gives us some more insight to this question. Who were these angels? Jude 6 says the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, has kept, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the, for the judgment of the great day. And so what we see is these angels that he's referring to, obviously the fallen angels, these angels were set apart because they had left their domain and they left their proper abode. And because of this, because they did that, they are now kept in bondage in Tartarus until the great day of judgment. You've got fallen angels that are bound, and you've got fallen angels that are, are angels that are not bound. Both fallen angels that are bound and both fallen angels that are not bound. So which group is he referring to? Well, obviously, he's referring to those fallen angels that had been bound in Tartarus. This group of angels that Peter's referring to is those in hell and Tartarus set aside for the great judgment. These angels had been put into prison. And these are the angels, if we're going to be more specific, is in Genesis chapter 6. These angels were called the sons of God. And they left their domain. They had relations with women and had children, if you remember. 
And it didn't please God. Genesis 6, 4 says, The sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore to them children. These were those big, great giants that had to be drowned that were called the Nelephims, if you remember. More so, we see in, in the book of 1 Peter, we just preached through it a while back, there in, in chapter 3, if you recall, verse 18. It says, For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. That was His death on the cross. But made alive in the Spirit. This is not talking about the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when He raised back into the flesh. Right now we're talking about when He died on the cross and was died in His flesh, but yet was raised alive in the Spirit. What happened when He he died in his, His flesh and was made alive in the Spirit? What did He do? Well, the text tells us. In verse 19 it says, "...in which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison." That word spirits refers to angels. And He's speaking of those angels that are in Tartarus from Genesis chapter 6 and in 2 Peter chapter 2. And He went and He proclaimed to the spirits now in prison who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. And so we see... This is the very angels that Peter is referring to here in chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare these angels that sinned, that had relations with human women, or cast into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Now listen, don't get mixed up in all this theology, this doctrine. Don't miss the point that Peter is trying to make. He's communicating that if God is willing to judge a group of angels that sinned, so God is willing to judge men that sin, and even a nation that sins. The second historical event that we see unfold is that of the ancient people of the days of Noah. If He didn't spare the angels... And He didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If God, you recall, did not hold back from the flood that poured out during the days of Noah... He brought a worldwide flood. We believe that God brought a literal worldwide flood, not some set-apart section of the world that got flooded. No, the whole earth, as Shane said this morning, was flooded from top to bottom about 15 feet or so above the highest mountain. And God did that. Why did God do that? Because the sins of man were exceedingly great. By the way... I do believe personally that it was a literal flood. And we will learn in our day, these liberal pastors will teach that, oh, it didn't really take place. Listen, if we're going to mess with the foundation of Scripture, the authority of the Word of God, we can make it mean whatever we want. God said it was a worldwide flood. Jesus thought it was a worldwide flood. Therefore, we need to believe what Jesus believed. God judges these 
people. Could it have been possible? Listen, it could have been possible at that time, during the flood, there would have been no rain at that time. We, we have no information that tells us it ever rained until the flood. But what we do find is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 to 6, that, that God watered the earth with a mist. And so it could be the truth that it never rained before. And so you could imagine when Noah says, Hey, listen, I'm building a boat because it's going to rain. The people are like, Dude, you are loopy. You are crazy. It's a reality. It could have happened. I happen to believe that it was. But another thing we find in this passage that we don't find anywhere else is this. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness during those times. He built the boat about a hundred years and he preached repentance during that time. And I'm sure people mocked him. I'm sure they made fun of him. You fool, you think rain's going to fall from the sky? Listen, while I don't believe they experienced rain until the flood, that makes the, the building of an ark even that much more crazy on Noah's part. The, the, the fact is, is they didn't respond to him. They failed to respond to Noah, except eight people. Noah and seven others. You see, people didn't get better in those days. They got worse. They got worse. Humanity's not getting better, it's getting worse. The farther we get away from God as a church, as a nation, as a people, the worse we get. Genesis 6.5 says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of thought of his heart was only evil continually. Noah preached righteousness to those people for a hundred years as he built that boat, and the wicked people failed to believe his message. And Noah and those that were with him, all seven in the ark, when they went in and the rains came and the water began to prevail increasingly, it was then that the people realized they had missed the boat. They were wrong. And the Bible says in verse 22 that all of the people died except those that were found in the grace of God. If God did not fail to judge a world full of people with a worldwide flood, those that their evil had become exceedingly great, why do we think that God would not judge us, false teachers, false believers, or fake Christians? Why? God will judge individuals, He will judge groups, He will judge nations, and He will not hold back the wrath of God. We can put our heads in the sand and pretend it will never happen, but God's Word is truth, it's reliable, it's accurate. We see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled throughout Scripture that teaches us when God says something, you might as well drive the nail because it's a done deal. And He says He's coming back says He will bring forth His wrath. God 
now promises to never flood the earth again with a worldwide flood. That's why we have a rainbow. We've distorted the rainbow in our day. There's no reason for me to go into it. You know what I'm talking about. When you see a rainbow, you don't think about the worldwide flood where God promised to never do it again. We think about something else. I say we take the rainbow back. While he never, while he promises never to flood the earth again, he says, listen, he says, listen, I am coming back again to judge the living and the dead. He won't come again with the flood, but next time he will come with the power and the judgment of Jesus Christ. Everybody look up here, please. Stay focused. Stay with me. This message is not easy for all ears. But it's the Word of God and it's the truth. And people need to hear the truth. We're held responsible for what we teach from this Word. It's the truth. And God is a loving God and He's a merciful God, but He's going to get us to where we need to be here in just a second. God promises never to flood the earth again, but He says that when He comes again, He will come with judgment, He will come with power, and He will come with wrath to those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are false teachers, false believers, fake Christians. That He covers everybody in that sentence. We can mock each other, we can mock preachers, you can mock this preacher, you can say he's not coming back. That's what false teachers were saying then, that's what they're saying now. Oh, he won't come back, he won't judge the world. You can reject the gift of salvation, but listen, you will not be able to look at this pastor and say, he didn't tell me, he didn't warn me. There are two lessons here for us to learn. In this passage, number one is God judges all sin. There is no sin that God will not judge. Therefore, listen, all people need to hear the message of the Word of God. They need to hear the Gospel. They need to hear about forgiveness and grace and mercy and everything else that God offers through His Word. Noah, secondly, was a preacher of righteousness. He preached to those people for a hundred years and they turned from Him. They rejected His teaching. They said, you're a fool. You're crazy. Until the rain started falling. It's when it dawned on Him. We know as Christians that the great judgment of Jesus Christ is coming. And there will be a wrath of God that's going to be revealed from heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords comes down just like He went up. And we have a message to give to this world. And only you know if you are convinced, if you are convicted in your very heart to where you can open your mouth and proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We are the only people Christians that have a message of hope. But it begins with understanding our sin, our iniquities, our fallenness. When is the last time that you had the opportunity, the chance to share your faith from beginning to end? It's just a legitimate question. If we aren't doing it, 
Who in the world do we think will? When is the last time we had an opportunity to share the gospel, the hope, the deliverer from the judgment that's coming and failed to do it? When is the last time? Listen, I can think of my own self, the times where I failed to share the gospel because I was chicken. And I asked God to forgive me and give me the boldness I need to share my faith no matter where I am, with whomever I am, for the purpose of giving them the information that Jesus Christ is their deliverer. The King is coming, America, and we need to wake up. And just like in the days of Noah, so also will be in the days of the Son of Man when He comes. They will be drinking, they will be eating, they will be living merrily. And their judgment in His coming will pour out His wrath because of the sin we have in our lives. And as false teachers, they will endure it. False teachers will be affected by this wrath to come. And we as a nation are moving in a direction that is completely contrary to God and His Word. And who do we think that God will not judge us as a nation? But listen, He says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Listen, brothers and sisters. Don't worry about the rest of the nation. He says here, if my people, that's us, that's Christians, if they will turn from their wicked ways and turn to God, He will change this nation. It begins within the household of God when we stop acting like pagans and start living like righteous men of God and concerned about the lives of people. This nation will change, but as long as we are not preaching the full counsel of the Word of God and we're tickling people's ears, we will continually to grow and grow in the wrong direction away from the presence of God and one day He's coming and He will pour out His judgment upon us. If God did not spare the angels, if God did not spare the ancient world, and if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, then what makes us as a nation, as a people, as teachers, as anything else, unbelievers, fake Christians, that He will not do the same to us? The reality is, is He will. He will. Sodom and Gomorrah fell to destruction, it says. They were reduced to ashes. Made to be what? An example. An example to who? To those that would live ungodly thereafter. We are thereafter. It's to us. That has been made for an example to all of humanity that followed thereafter. If we want to be false teachers, if we want to teach heresy, if we don't want to teach the full counsel of the Word of God, if we want to lie and lead people astray by our vain philosophy or by our, our, our own moral decline or our self-willed opinions by destructive heresies, then that's okay. We can do that. 
God gives us that liberty. But listen, He will let us be reminded of Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood and the fallen angels. They've been placed there as a reminder. This is what it looks like when people turn from God. And we are a nation that needs to hear about the wrath of God because we are so patted on the back and told grace, 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 grace that we forget hell is a literal place and people need to hear that judgment is coming. Noah said, listen, the rain is coming. The flood is coming. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. And people ignored him and said, you're a fool. And today we say, Jesus Christ says He's coming back with power and authority and He will judge the living and the dead. Get in Jesus Christ. And they will say, I don't want Him. But it's our job to warn them. Just like Noah did. Just like Lot did for Sodom and Gomorrah. What was it that Sodom did that caused God to pour out His wrath on these cities? It says in Ezekiel 16.49-50, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I, God, removed them when I saw it. What did these people have? They had an arrogance. They had an arrogance. They were prideful people. But the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. America, we are a prideful nation. And God doesn't like pride. Our prosperity as a nation has produced a pride in self-sufficiently like none other. And in that turns the result of our disregard for moral righteousness and the God of the Bible. And we turn to fables and myths and destructive heresies that tear us down as families, tear us down as communities, tears us down as churches and as nations. What else did it say? They were gluttons. It says their God is their belly. Now we as Americans don't eat too much, right? Well, I can honestly say I'm on a diet. And I'm I'm working on my gluttony. And I'm down 20 pounds. And so the Lord is working in that. But we as a nation, we eat too much. We're gluttons. We as individuals are gluttons. And we need to pray about that. And we need to ask God to forgive us and give us self-control and an ability to control our consumption because this was a sin of Sodom. It says what else? They were idle. What does that mean? Well, if you're sitting in your car and you're just idling, what's that mean? You're just sitting there, right? You're not moving. You're not doing anything. They had careless ease. Now listen to me carefully. I'm going to be very careful in this. I want you to understand, because I know there's a lot of retired people, there's nothing wrong with retiring. So I want to set that clear so we don't miss that over. But listen, 
We as Americans live our lives and work our brains out so that we can retire, so that we can have what? More time for ourselves. Listen, retirement is not wrong. But if you're retiring to have time for yourself, you're missing it. Retirement should be so that we can have more time for God to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Or less we become idle and we sit and we don't do what God has called us to do. Typically, if you're retired, you have knowledge. You have wisdom. You have discernment. And as a Christian, what a great opportunity to take one of these young fellows under your arm and begin to see a growth process. Listen, I'm 34 and I disciple men and I watch them grow and there's no greater reward than to see a man begin to grow in his faith and grasp of the Word of God and begin to be challenged and encouraged and begin to have faith and begin to watch him go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And as a retired man or woman, what a great opportunity you have to spend more time serving the Lord God. He also says they did not have a care for the poor and the needy. They were self-focused. They did not care about outsiders. And so, we should help others. We should care about them and serve them. Not only as a church, but in our individual lives. Everything doesn't have to be through the church. God has made you, you are the church. And therefore, get somebody you know that doesn't get to eat a good meal every day. Invite them to your house. Treat them like a king. They can't repay you. Who cares? Feed them like a feast. Every Thursday we invite a couple to our house and we, we try to feed them like kings and queens. They don't come to church. They're not believers. But we feed them and we treat them because we love them and we care for them and we want to encourage them and with hope that they come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. What else did they do? It says they did disgusting things, abominations, and that's homosexuality. Now listen, this is not popular. This is not a popular message. But it's the Word of God, it's the truth, it's the sin that existed. You just read Genesis 14. The people were depraved. They had men seeking after men. And not only did they have men seeking after men, they had men seeking after men that were angelic beings. And when, when they were blinded, they, they tried to throw themselves. They couldn't see, but they still desired passionately inside to be an abomination to the Lord. God didn't spare Sodom because they were detestable to the Lord. And I know that there are really some here that want me to speak out about homosexuality. And you know I'm not afraid to call a sin a sin. But let us not be so proud as individuals that we want to bust on the sins of another when we are living our lives in adultery in laziness, in gluttony, and in lying, and in stealing, and whatever else sin you can think about. Because in the eyes of God, all sin is the same. And all sin brings the same judgment. And all sin needs to be paid by the same price. And that's Jesus Christ. You want a proof text? 
Jot these down. Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 20.13. Romans 1.26-27. 1 Corinthians 6.9-10. There's a few verses that should shed some light on your understanding of how God feels about homosexuality. But this sermon's not about that. While it's a part of it, it's about God not standing for any sin. He says there in verse 6, And if He condemned the Sodoms and Gomorrah to the destruction by reducing them to the ashes, having made them example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, then He will do it to you, to me, and He will do it to us as a nation. We have seen unbelievers, fake Christians, and false believers through the Word of God that they will receive the wrath of God. And if He did not fail to judge the angels, the world through the flood, or through the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He will judge the sins of men when He comes back. But, there's a positive side to this message. There's a wonderful message that we see intertwined in the verses of these 4 to 10. Not only will we see false believers receive the wrath of God, true believers will receive the rescue of God. God is not only a God of wrath, but a God of rescue. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of hope and a God of provision. And listen, Noah found favor in his eyes. And just like Noah was saved from the wrath of God, so we can be saved from the wrath of Jesus Christ's second coming. And just like Noah was found in the ark, we can be found in Jesus Christ when He returns. And just like when the door was shut, sealed, and Noah and his family was protected, so we can be shut and sealed in Jesus Christ and find protection and forgiveness so that we don't have to be experiencing the wrath of God and we can be delivered like Noah was delivered. And if He rescued Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, if he was delivered out of that, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. How do we feel about sin around us? Does it torment us day and after day when we see the torment, the sin of America? Does it bother us? Does it convict us enough in our hearts to stand up and say, God won't stand for it. Turn, repent, believe the Gospel. Did for Lot. And if God rescued Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. God can rescue you. He can rescue us as a nation. There is a consistency though that I found in the life of this man Noah and this man Lot. And that was that they were, they were men found in righteousness. 
They were righteous men. And so I want to ask you this morning, if Jesus Christ burst through those clouds today, would you be found as a righteous person? Would God see you as righteous as He saw Lot and Noah? Listen, it's not until you are deemed righteous in the eyes of God that we, that you can escape, that we as a nation can escape the judgment that is to come. Have you done that today? You may ask, how? Scripture says that He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus Christ. So when God does come back, if we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and His death, His burial and His resurrection, that He paid our penalty on the cross, then we are considered right with God because we have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. Have you done that today? You must confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and believe the Gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then, and only then, will you be viewed as righteous of God. Have you done that today? God warns us that He's coming. He tells us several times throughout Scripture, just a few times. He says it in Matthew 16, 27. He says it in 23, verse 39. He says it there in 24, verse 27. He says it there in verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 36, 24, 42, 26, 64. He says it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and on and on and on. The King is coming. Behold, He's coming and let us put our hope and our faith in the one true King of kings and Lord of lords and that is Jesus Christ. False teachers will tell you, ah, He's not coming. They will provoke you. They will persuade many to believe their ways. But listen... Their thinking is based off of their own self-will. They have created for themselves their own ending in their own mind. But ours is based off of the Word of God. And listen, like I said earlier, there are so many prophecies that we could go over that was predicted would happen and they happen. Not one failed to take place. And yet, we hear the second coming will happen. Why do we think it would all of a sudden lie? Let us heed the warning of Scripture and accept the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who when He hung on the cross said, it is finished, it is paid in full. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. When you are born again, God is able to protect you. He's able to protect you from temptations, 
but he's also able to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corruptive desires and despise authority. God will judge the nation with His wrath and in the same stroke He will protect those who are His own. His children while doing that therefore should have no fear. We as followers of Jesus Christ should not fear the second coming but embrace it, desire it, while yet proclaiming Jesus Christ to a fallen world so that they can get in the boat of Jesus. Those that follow God and accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those are the ones who obey. And those that are being kept from judgment despise authority. Listen, they will identify themselves with the King of Kings in the Lord of Lords. But they will refuse to live by His commandments. And so, this morning, we need to understand that God, in the end, will destroy all who are opposed to Him, including the false teachers and their followers. And so we need to choose as a people as a group, as a church, and as a nation, whom today we will follow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will lavish in the grace that God has delivered us from the wrath to come. He bought us with a price that we couldn't afford to pay. He has paid a debt for our lives And all of this comes from simply believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, America, behold your choice. Wrath or rescue? Let us pray.